Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Genre Equality Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, we're here to talk to you about all the best sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, horror stuff from the past month. Uh, and of course, one of the biggest topics coming out is the, is the much-delayed release of A Quiet Place Part 2 of Luca. One of Netflix's biggest summer hits, Sweet Tooth, is also one of our main topics here mm-hmm. uh, this week. Plus, you know, I still be getting into Star Wars, The Bad Batch, which is yeah. the latest of, you know, the, the, the Filoni corner of Disney+, Plus, <laughs> which, which we all love. We'll also be talking about, you know, um, other smaller things, Filipino anime, Tresse, mm. um, The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, uh, and a bunch of other stuff, like, include, including, we'll, we'll bring to you some news of a local audio drama that just debuted but we'll talk about that a little bit later mm. uh let's begin with the much 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 delayed uh, a quiet <laughs> place part two because i seem to remember at the end of 2019 when we picked our most anticipated genre releases of 2020 this is like december 2019 yeah you picked a quiet place part two mm. uh and here we are in june of 2021 finally getting around to it you know <laughs> Um, J- Jim from the office, aka a- John Krasinski, he he expands his sci-fi horror now franchise, A Quiet Place, yep. for a sequel. Um, and a year and a half later, you know, we finally gotten to see it. A Quiet Place Part Two is is both a continuation and a prequel to the first film. Uh, it opens with an exhilarating sequence showing how the first day that these blind monsters, you know, first invade. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the sequel part picks up right after the first movie ends as the Abbott family, um, again reprised by Emily Blunt, uh, Millicent Simmons, and uh, Noah Jupe, uh, decide to leave their home to face the terrors of the outside world as they continue their fight for survival in silence. Yeah. Uh, now that they know that the creatures are severely impaired by the frequency produced by their, doc- their daughter's uh, cochlear implant, uh, they are much more prepared for the Armageddon. Uh, in addition, they're also joined by new cast members like Cillian Murphy and Jimon Honsu, who play other survivors in the post-apocalypse. Uh, what did you think of A Quiet Place Part 2? I thoroughly enjoyed the first 20 minutes of it. Like, the prequel yeah. portion was awesome. The least quiet of any part of A Quiet Place franchise, but like, so mm. dope. So, so dope. I yep. think, like, that's the kind of world-building that you crave when, some, when, when, when something like A Quiet Place 1 comes out, right? And you have... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, just kind of like this. Uh, the audience is is um is is ushered in like in situ while while everything is uh, has already been uh has already happened and and is is kind of going on. Yep. You know, you kind of crave that uh understanding of of what the background was like, what the world building was like, what the genesis of it is, and mm-hmm. to have that in the first twenty minutes is like it's awesome, right? Like it gives you everything that you kind of want out of mm-hmm. that desire. Uh, that being said. Um, given how great the first 20 minutes is, everything else kind of falls into a strange, uh, less than, uh, uh, it, it's a little disappointing. I'm going to put it that mm. way, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I understand the need for, you know, uh, especially I think in the Quiet Place one, you have these moments where you've got some flashbacks, you've got some moments where they're tense and then they're quiet and a lot of that, uh, um, the composition of that like really really kind of helps right with the tension and the flow of everything else um but after spending the first 20 minutes and investing yourself in the first 20 minutes of that you want a continuation of that story Mm -hmm. or at least i did right Mm -hmm. um so for us to have the time jump um skip past the entire first part of the movie Mm -hmm. or rather not first part of the movie um skip past the entire first movie 
Yeah. You know, when when things kind of like um toned down a little, uh mm-hmm. I think it 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 just served to to show um some of the weaknesses in in a quiet place part 2. Yeah, 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 yeah. For for me, a quiet place part two is a bit of an exercise in diminishing returns, you know. But yeah. uh, on the plus side, you know, thanks to the strength of its core ensemble, who are still very good, and mm. John Krasinski's ability behind the camera, as he's proven himself to be a very competent director. Yeah, I think a quiet place part two's um technical merits uh help to drown out the increasing flaws, you know. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the the loud opening sequence, which was flourished by a series of you know extended single take shots, you know, including one that surveys the mayhem from inside the moving vehicle, kind of mm. children of man style. Mm. Um, it's so intense and expertly orchestrated that it's by far the best part of the film. Yeah. Uh, sure. Which was unexpected because, you know, as you said, that, that kind of scene is not what A Quiet Place is about. And perhaps this is what made me realize that the near-silent sensory gimmick, which was so cool in the first film, yeah. might have lost its novelty factor in the second one, you know. Um, Plus, you know, Cillian Murphy, uh, his new character's ominous quote that has been displayed all over the trailers, right? You know, um, <laughs> what, what, what does he say? That the people left are not the kind of people worth saving. Yeah. Sounds like an intriguing recipe for escalation. Yeah. Something that might add a human menace to the inhuman one. I think yet A Quiet Place Part 2 barely scratches the surface of that idea mm. or really of any of the other ideas, you know, because it sets up a lot of intriguing places to go and yep. largely neglects to explore them. It feels like a random season two, episode 12 episode of... Uh, the, if A Quiet Place was a series, right, this is when it starts to, like, <laughs> you know, like, taper down. Yeah. Um, I think, like, theoretically, it's admirable that Krasinski has sought to preserve the economy of the original. Mm. Um, no one could accuse him of misplacing the values of his uh, franchise's small-scale, suspense-driven ethos. Yet, at 97 minutes, the sequel feels pared down to a fault, yeah. with no room to further flesh out its world or its occupants. I think as a piece of storytelling, it's skimpy, mm. uh, kind of vaguely unsatisfying. Um, as a series of, you know, uh, it still has a, se- a good series of, you know, bite your tongue, tense as fuck, set pieces, which are yeah. still very good. It delivers on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he builds on the first film's weaponization of uh, sound design and space, finding new angles in which to shoot a monster, you know, crawling into the middle, hazy distance, you know, from, from the foreground of your main character. And, and you know, it, it yanks us in and out of Reagan's deafness. Yeah. Uh, who, is, who is the star of this film? Uh, and, and probably the best part of the film, uh, yeah, actor-wise, you know. Uh, and I think Krasinski still has an eye for memorable imagery. Yeah, but, but as I said, you know, it's all more of the same. Uh, yeah. And, and, and that's just not enough for me because, as, as I said, like, I thought the novelty, novelty factor has worn off for me. Mm, yeah, uh, there are things that I would have liked to have more of the same. I would have liked to have more Emily Blunt, mm. right? In this particular one, obviously, you know, um, it, it's focusing more on the kids. Now you have Cillian Murphy who is in, who kind of takes away from, from our takes our attention away. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he's not compelling enough of a character here, mm. right? Like, there's no, you know, he has like this crazy short redemption arc that isn't required. Uh, his yep. participation in the actual kind of like journey of the story itself isn't really required. Uh, yep. The man is wearing the man is wearing like heavy kind of like military boots, and I don't mm. know how he survived so long already. But mm-hmm. of course, that's just nitpicking. I, I think like a quiet place one had this amazing balance between, you know, uh, Reagan's struggle as as as, 
as a, as a deaf girl, you know, uh, yeah. Emily's performance, John's performance, and you know, just the tension of confronting a new uh, monster, right? A new threat. Like that was a great kind of balance between all. And I think Quiet Place One gave us so many amazing scenes, right? The the you know, um, the nail scene, um, mm. um, giving birth, mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. But we don't get much of that, right? Especially from Emily Blunt in particular, which I think is kind of sad. Uh, as yeah. much as I enjoyed um, um, the the kids and their performances and their time in the spotlight, it wasn't enough to carry that, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I, I don't know why Cillian Murphy's in the movie. I really don't. Like, character-wise, it doesn't... It would have worked completely without him. Yeah. You know? Um, so, it's, it's, it's a little disappointing, I have to say. I had a lot higher hopes. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that um, but at the same time yeah I mean like in hindsight it's easy to see where the diminishing returns kind of like kick in yeah. um, you know and it, it makes me wonder if at any point in time when they were kind of like already committed to this whether Krasinski and Emily Blunt thought you know maybe we should just do a prequel <laughs> Yeah, like like yeah. let's let's not have it quiet. Let's have the mayhem of of, of all of the first twenty minutes, right? And mm-hmm. kind of like flip the entire franchise on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we'll we'll never know. Um, there's gonna be a a spin-off, a, a spin-off right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Um. It it seemed fairly well received by by you know the general audience. Mm-hmm. Who basically, I, I think, were just like waiting for it for a really long time. But if for the third um, entry into the franchise, if they're going to give us more of the same, I'm not really sure if, you know, it's going to be doing that well, unfortunately. Yeah. There's something unique about part one that, that yeah. part two just isn't. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I think overall this was a solid sequel uh, and quite entertaining, uh, yeah. but nowhere near the groundbreaking masterpiece the first film was. Yeah, not bad, sure. just sure. not great. Read a quiet place part two with your concluding thoughts. Um. Yeah. Uh. Well. Let's let's see where the third one goes. Whether they're gonna shake things up. I I think like it yeah. is abundantly clear to a lot of audiences that you know um it's it's um weaponizing sound design and and just having that you know that contrast between you know the loud and the soft and the quiet uh mm-hmm. as as run its full gamut over yeah. two movies now. So yeah. let's see where they go with that. I'm not sure if he's actually helming the the next no, project. No, it's not. It's, it's not, by a right? guy called Jeff Nichols. Yeah. Yeah. So we will we will see. Um, it's it's part two is complementary, right? Like you could totally mm-hmm. watch part one and like mm-hmm. think it's one of the best movies that you've ever watched, and like mm-hmm. just leave it at that, you know. Yeah. Um, but you can watch part two if you like. Um, it gives you a bit more, but that's about it. So, I think yeah. overall, I'm I'm gonna give it like a six out of ten. It's a pass. It's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Some of the jump scares are so effective, incredibly yeah. effective. Um, yeah. But outside of that, outside of a uh, magnificent performances from from Millicent, um, Simmons, and, uh, yeah. Simmons, and and Noah Jube, like, yeah. not much else. Unfortunately. Yeah, uh, likewise, it's a 6 out of 10 for me. Again, not bad, just not great. Mm-hmm. Um, we can move on, though, to uh, a new Netflix series called Sweet Tooth. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Jeff Lemire fan, have been for a long time. Mm. Jeff Lemire's comic series Sweet Tooth, you know, um, largely put him on the map 
uh, for comic book fans like me. Uh, it ran for 40 issues through DC's Vertigo imprint, uh, yeah. which is sadly not close. Uh, but it led to him writing titles like Animal Man, Green Arrow, Moon Knight, you know, and, and other big ones for the big two, uh, for the big two, including Wolverine, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the big two is Marvel and DC. Um, Sweet Tooth, in my opinion, genuinely one of the best 21st century comics I've ever read. Which is why I was so excited for this Netflix live-action adaptation. Yeah. Um, Sweet Tooth is a post-apocalyptic fairy tale, shall we say, mm-hmm. following an adorable half-human, half-deer hybrid boy named Gus, who leaves his isolated home in the woods to traverse a dystopian world ravaged by a killer virus. Uh, along the way, he picks up a loner called Jeppet, uh, and they begin to trek across the wilderness together. Um, the backstory of the world is economically sketched out in an opening prologue. Uh, yeah. it, it details a virus called the Great Crumble, which has swept the world uh, alongside the unexplained emergence of hybrids uh, who are born part human and part animal. Um, whether the hybrids cause the virus or vice versa is a mystery. So humans driven by fear start hunting them down. Um, many might be I guess, immediately turned off by this after the last year and a half that we've had with our own, you know, virus sweeping the world. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't blame you, but the the opening sequence is not indicative of the eight episodes that, that, that follows because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the blossom of the adorable animal-human uh, animal hybrid children shows up almost immediately, you know, which leads to the introduction of young actor Christian Convery as Gus, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Sweet Tooth, um, a.k.a. the beaming light of hope that the world of this show and ours, I guess, needs. Yeah. Um, the, the show, uh, for me as a comic fan, is very different from the comic. It, yeah. is, it, it softened the comic a lot. The, the book was at times unforgivingly and punishingly dark. And I felt that was actually the right tonal choice for mm. a post-COVID audience. Yeah. Um, more plague horror might have been too much otherwise. And yeah. Christian Convery embodies the optimism and curiosity and naivety in a soulful performance that is very winsome and it balances out the bleakness of the world uh, in a way that I think works. His, mm-hmm. his naivete lends him and Jep uh, and the other fan, Brett Bear, uh, in trouble a lot of the times. Um, uh, it might be like his single greatest weakness, but his innocence is his single greatest charm as well. Yeah. Um, the bleakness part of, of the story seems like secondary, and uh, mostly the bleakness part follows a character called Dr. Singh, who is a, a, a secondary character, who is a, a doctor put in charge of finding a cure for the virus, a task that is particularly personal for, for him because his wife is showing symptoms of the virus. Uh, Dr. Singh is willing to do almost anything to save his wife, even if it might mean crossing some terrible ethical boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, the sense of distrust and tension around Dr. Singh's neighborhood is palpable, and his community's particular approach to dealing with new virus cases is very brutal. Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, though, the, the show's heart lies in Gus and Shepard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Convery is a natural, likable presence, uh, and Nonso, who play, uh, Nonso Anozi, uh, who plays uh, Jep, uh, his performance gives Jepard, like a ruthlessness, a tough streak, masking a, a bruised humanity within. Uh, their adventures, be it, you know, finding refuge or uh, that offer something like a normal family life, you know, like uh, like they're running 
uh, with that that family in the cabin, you know, like and and Gus's discovery of funk music it was a delight, yeah. you know, <laughs> or or them running in to into the animal army who are a, a teen band of eco warriors who protect Gus but become suspicious of Jepet. Um, they are all these little minor side adventures. They're like Bythons, like enchanting and exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's like that switching between sweetness and like biting darkness that makes Sweet Tooth like a, a, a children's fable that is fit for grown-ups as well. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, of course, like it's without the chemistry of the two leads that mm-hmm. is like, you know, it, that really elevates the show. Like the show would be nothing. Like it's, it's all about Gus and Jepet and, and their relationship. Yeah. Uh, and I think it works really well. Uh, what about you? Uh, so I, I had not read the comic book um, before before starting on the TV series. Um, so I was curious and I, I did go to check out the comics after I was done and I was just a little shocked, um, mm. you know, by what I was reading. And and uh, I totally agree with you. I don't think that like a direct from source material adaptation would have done very well. Mm. Um, and, and that is not to say that I don't enjoy the comics. Like Lumiere is brilliant uh, in his own way. Uh, but yeah. I think what they've decided to do with the TV series um, mm-hmm. is spot on, right? Like, it's absolutely what's needed in a time like this. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think, like, uh, it's it's popularity for a number of weeks on Netflix, uh, especially, I think, is a testament to that, um, yeah. despite the fact that it has to do, you know, with, with the pandemic yeah, and the times that we're living in. Uh, overall, like, yeah, I I have very little to kind of disagree with that. I think I think Gus and and Jeb are the two main draws of this. I think mm-hmm. Gus, uh, kind of like innocence, naivety as he navigates this very treacherous world that he's unaware of or has never been aware of, is mm-hmm. like one of the brightest kind of like character um stories that we've gotten in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it has all like. I've enjoyed it so much because it it gives you all that dystopia, yeah. Uh, paired together with like this great coming of age hero story, mm, you know, very this, uh Steven Spielbergian, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and they do it at the same time, right? Yeah. Uh, which is something that that's kind of rare, I think. Like in the past decade or so, we've got a lot of like grim, dark, edge lord stuff when it comes mm. to the post apocalyptic dystopias. Um, whether or not it involves a young character, right? Um, and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this series. Uh, I really, really did. Uh, and I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to having more because, like, the world building is not bad, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that we got we got too much of it. I don't think we got enough of it, uh, to be very, mm-hmm. very honest. Uh, and it's, the mystery is kind of unveiling. Mm, um, you know, it really depends on where they go from here. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of like when they reveal stuff and and, and things like that, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, now that now that it's kind of concluded, I think overall to the season, um, I've very, got very little complaints. There are some pacing problems towards like mm-hmm. the third act, um, but uh, you kind of recognize that it's a setup for you know another season uh, for sure. Um, oh yes. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I really really enjoyed Sweet Tooth. Um, really glad for that. I was just kind of like strange because like in a lot of i don't know if it was a marketing push per se but in a lot of hype going into this everybody was just talking about how uh robert and susan downey yes uh were, producers. Like, were the producers of this and like that was yeah. like a big kind of marquee thing uh mm-hmm. good on them for spotting something so good and putting putting you know um and backing it um mm-hmm. for sure but i wasn't really sure why people yeah. were kind of like shouting that out as a 
<laughs> as a selling point for this. Um, but yeah, totally love Sweet Tooth. Totally worth yeah. the watch. Uh, it's it's you know eight eight episodes under an hour each. Like it's it's a ride, and I I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sweet Tooth the series. I think not only brings the actual story from the comics to life. Uh, to live action in a satisfying and engaging way, but yep. also in a different way that manages to work and deliver elements from Lemire's writing. They are less conventional. Yep. You know, they are trippy, offbeat dream sequences. They are still <laughs> in there. Um, I think it's clear from the jump that the team behind Sweet Tooth uh, loves the comic. Uh, and anyone that was a reader should be able to see that familiarity with the source material is the building block for every creative choice, even though the creative choices are different. Yeah. But like, but like the spiritual essence of it is there, you know. Okay. Um, some some fans of the comic may not be as interested since the dour and gloomy, almost comic McCarthy like sensibility <laughs> of the of the comic isn't present. Yeah, but there are still frills and gut punches to be found. And for once, you know, the sanitization of a very dark story works to its benefit because of the time and place we are in. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and and I think that's why it works, particularly for for a pandemic story. Mm-hmm. Um. Any concluding thoughts and, and what are your ratings for this? Uh, I'm I'm gonna give this a seven out of ten. Yeah, like it's a solid watch. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, you know, looking forward to more. And uh, yeah, let's see where it goes. Let's see where it goes. I mean, like I do feel like uh, third act of season one did show a bit of like uh, plot weakness, so mm. to say. Uh, but then again, after ha- having like caught up with s- most of the of of the comic. Uh, I can kind of see where they're trying to go with that. So we really, really have to see. Uh, I would love to kind of like revisit it after season two is out uh, just to see whether or not they've been able to keep pace. Yes, yeah, definitely. I'm definitely tuning in for season two. It's a seven out of ten for me as well. Very solid watch, entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, not too, you know, depressing, not too heady. It's just a nice little summer watch like, in, in the way that Stranger Things was. Uh, next up, though, uh, let's move on to a big topic, uh, the latest iteration of uh, Dave Filoni's little Star Wars animated corner yeah. uh, in Star Wars The Bad Batch, which recently debuted on Disney+. Plus. You know, More than half the season is over now, and Isa Fung has caught it. You know? uh, what do you think about this spin-off from, uh, from Clone Wars? Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, times like this, I really miss Hardy. I really do. Uh, yeah, because, yeah. Just yeah. because he's been at the helm of almost every single review that we've done for um, Star Wars, Wars uh, yeah. especially the animated universe, uh, mm. you know, and I, there were just times that I, I, I felt like it would have been great to have him on here to just like hear what he had to say and lean in, especially because he's so tuned in with the lore and the characters and all the Easter eggs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for those, for the uninitiated, Bad Batch basically follows Clone Force 99. Um, they're a group of uh, elite clone troopers who have uh, genetic Let's say differences, right? Whether or not it's mutations or deficiencies uh, is, is something that they... It's, it's a big kind of thematic theme within the show itself. Um, yep. That were kind of first introduced in Clone Wars, I believe. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, so they're kind of like a commando squad uh, that is kind of separate from the regular force of, of clone troopers that we've come to know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the exception, of course, like uh, major characters like Rex. Um Yeah. And yeah, so basically we're kind of like following in their adventures. Um, you know, we start off like being introduced to all the characters who is voiced very, very well. All the characters uh, in Close Force 99 with the exception of Omega are all uh, um, voiced by D. Bradley Baker. 
Um, mm. So we've got, you know, Hunter, Wreck, Attack, Crosshair, and Echo, often voiced by the same guy. I mean, they're clones, you know, so... Yeah. Uh, it, it, it works, uh, having one guy do it all. Uh, and essentially, it picks up, the story picks up um, around the time when uh, Order 66 is, is uh, issued, right? Uh, so base, mm-hmm. because of their genetic differences... Uh, by and large, clone, the guys in Close Force 99 are immune to the programming um, that that gets all the regular clone troopers to take, um, to carry out uh, Order 66. And uh, more or less, that's where the story begins. You know, uh, along the way, they they encounter a young female clone working as a medical assistant on Camino, right? Yeah. Uh, and later on, there's like some pretty big reviews that I'm not going to spoil. Uh, okay. about her origin and her importance to the story um, of Bad Batch itself and like kind of like a greater uh, implication on the great uh, Star Wars universe as a whole. Mm. Um, but yeah. So my thoughts on Bad Batch is that uh, I've watched... Of, of, I don't think I finished all of Clone Wars. Okay. Right? Because that was kind of left to Hardy. And there's a lot to get through as far as Clone Wars is. Uh, but Rebels... I did finish that. I really, really did enjoy that. And I think like Bad Batch is a great addition to that kind of like animated universe that we've gotten from from the Star Wars stories. Mm. Um, Bad Batch has a very distinct feel to it that is a lot more like the Mandalorian than it is to Clone Wars or even Rebels for that matter. There's an element of fun to it that is kind of missing from, I think, uh, from Clone Wars, which kind of fell into the role of plugging like these kind of major uh, plot, not holes, but like these plot gaps, right? Like between the movies and stuff like that. And it yeah. had to do a lot of like uh, um, hard carrying for, you know, um, character development for some of the more uh, famous ones. So you, you've got your uh, Ashoka, you've got your uh, Anakin and so on and so forth mm. uh, from there. I think Rebels was as an offshoot uh, was great and fun in and of itself. And of course, that looked a lot more at the Jedi side of things, um, with Kaelin and all of that. Um, but Bad Batch is unique in its own way, right? Like its presentation here and the tone of it feels very unique. Uh, I have to say that it is one of the most amazing animation that we've gotten out of Star Wars. Nice. And, that, and that's saying a lot, right? Uh, I'm still not a huge fan of the way that human, uh, well, living organisms are uh, animated, but like the the scene setting, like the scenery, you know, the landscapes, the the the, the ships, the armor, all of that is rendered to like perfection. Like it is constantly breathtaking yeah. um, in, in every other shot, right? And that's just kind of like, it, it is mind-blowing how you know, um, over the years as you've been following like the animated series in Star Wars, right? Like it's come to the point where by now it's really like a style of its own and it is spectacular. Mm. Um, you know, there are times when they're just like traversing like these these mountain dunes and uh, these desert dunes and stuff like that where it's just like, wow, like that, that could be, you know, a, a work of art, like seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, under with the visual spectacle and, and of course like all the good stuff that you get with Star Wars, you know, uh, with with the music and all of that, like it's a very very um, deep look at uh, what it means to be a clone, right? Yes. Like uh, what yeah. it is it's a matter of kind of like identity 
within a changing universe um, mm. at the point in time when the Empire is coming into power. Uh, mm-hmm. And the way that each individual clone kind of grapples with that across time, uh, across the episodes, um, whether or not it's it's Omega who's like completely, you know, um, she's other than the others, right? Like the, the Bad Batch guys are already, you know, others, they are already foreign in their yeah. own way. And Omega like is one step removed from that as well. Um, and for her to kind of like struggle with those ideas as a kid is fascinating. Yep. And I think it's very, very well fleshed out for something that still packs in a ton of intrigue and action. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I entirely uh, enjoyed The Bad Batch. I'm really looking forward to the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe, let's see, how many more episodes do we get? I think we have a couple more to go. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so there are like 14 episodes. We are, we're at nine right now. Five more episodes to go. I'm really interested to see how they kind of conclude it. Uh, but everything that has been done so far really sets a good precedence for uh, everything that, that's going to come. I think like this could be a great franchise within the Star Wars uh, universe in and of itself. Nice. Like, and I would definitely follow it. So long as they keep up the pace with that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, if you, uh, if you enjoyed... Um, Clone Wars, if you enjoyed Rebels, um, you know, please, this is right up your alley. Uh, mm. If you enjoyed The Mandalorian and you're looking for something kind of different, then um, I, I think Bad Batch is, is a great kind of like addition to the Filoni corner of the Star Wars universe. Um, I have very little to complain about it, really. Um, uh, how yeah. would you rate it? Uh, and it, it's, it's how would you compare it to Rebels and, and Clone Wars? Uh, Clone Wars... I, I remember like when one of our early genres when Clone Wars was just kind of wrapping up their seasons you yeah. know we had a very very long conversation about like how Clone Wars is extremely important to the Star mm. Wars universe um, but at the same time the seasons weren't even right but right. overall I think if I remember correctly it was like a 6 or a 7 um, mm-hmm. for all the seasons that we got there Rebels as well for the number of seasons that it ran was by and large very very good I remember us giving like a 6.5 for that I would say that Bad Batch is easily a 7, 7.5. I think where mm. we're standing right now um, at episode 9, uh, yep. I, I would give it a 7. With the potential to be a 7.5 depending on how they stick the landing for this uh, this particular season. Um, okay. But again, this is just the first season, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll see where it kind of goes. I think there's also some recency bias with the fact that, you know, uh, Mando season 2 wasn't that long ago. And yeah. we've got news that you know uh, Boba is getting his own um, spin-off, spin-off with uh, with um, with uh, what's her name Shan, um, yeah. you know, and like that, you definitely does kind of like like watching Bad Batch in the with all those um, at the back of my mind definitely does bump up the hype factor mm. um, for sure. But like outside of that, I think it's I think it's really really solid. Like the voice acting is like on point. The storylines are on point. It's funny. Uh, there are moments in time when they're really really dark. Yeah. Every time a character that you've seen before pops in is, it's one of those moments of oh my god, you know. Uh, right. And, okay. And uh, yeah, really really enjoying it. I I really like what Filoni is doing with like this more recent uh, releases on their side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I continue to hope that they keep it up for sure because it's been the most enjoyable part of Star Wars in the last decade. 
Yeah, um, you know, under Filoni and Favreau, Star Wars has uh, gone through a bit of a renaissance uh, and done a lot to recapture the goodwill that was lost with the prequels and then yeah. with the new J.J. Abrams sequels. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm eager to check this out. I only usually watch the Star Wars animated stuff like after like the season is done and then I just I binge it in a day. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm planning to do that here as well. Yeah, it's uh, pretty... Uh... Um, Bad Batch is pretty meaty, I think, mm. uh, especially because you get like a seventy-five minute pilot, mm. um, which which is kind of rare, right? Like, and sometimes uh, the episodes run longer than you know your usual kind of twenty-five minute, uh, <clears throat> half an hour uh, cartoons uh, yeah. runtime. So yeah. you know, uh, that being said, this is also the first uh. The first animated series from Star Wars that is not restricted by TV, you know, yeah, um, yeah, it being that this TV series, and if anything, I, I do feel like it adds more. Like some shows that we've talked about, who who have like a uh, different runtimes for every episode, haven't really used that to their benefit. But Star Wars mm-hmm. is, is definitely solid. Yeah, but definitely worth binging. Um, awesome. Once it's all done. Sweet. Uh, sticking with Disney+, Plus, we're going to move into Quick Hits, which is a little segment where I talk about some of the films and TV shows that my co-host may not have had time to watch. I'm going to stick with Disney+, Plus because uh, <laughs> Pixar's latest film, uh, Luca, is out. You know, It's yeah. set in a beautiful seaside town on the Italian Riviera. Uh, Pixar's latest film is a heartwarming, coming-of-age story about a young boy experiencing... An unforgettable summer, you know, filled with gelato and pasta and scooter rides. Um, and, and Luca shares these picturesque adventures with his newfound best friend, Alberto. Uh, but all the fun is threatened by their deeply held secret. Uh, they are actually shape-shifting sea monsters, both of them. Um, on the whole, though, uh, Luca is sweet and affecting. Uh, and does a good job at capturing the bond that strangers can build over a summer yeah. and how friendship can endure from there. Um, it's far from Pixar's best or most ambitious or riskiest effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there is nothing especially inventive or profound about the film. Um, it is undeniably a pleasant summertime trip. Uh, though. Like Luca is modest, it's a gentle yarn, it's a simple fairy tale about the constellations of friendship and kindness and courage and how it can provide solace in the face of violence and ignorance. Mm. Uh, and yet, Pixar isn't anywhere near peak... Uh, no, sorry, Luca isn't anywhere near peak Pixar. Uh, and I think it never strives to be. It, does, it doesn't want to be that, you know? Yeah. It's more of an easygoing, low-key, low-stakes kind of cartoon. Uh, but kind of film that feels like a, you know like a like you're spending a warm breezy afternoon by the sea, uh, and if that sounds like it's for you, then Luca is for you. Uh, overall, it's seven out of ten. Right. Um, probably near the bottom of Pixar's canon, but still pretty pretty decent watch. You know? Yeah, I mean, like given Pixar's slate, like even the bottom of their canon, <laughs> yeah, beats most animated films. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Next up, uh, I recently ventured back into theaters uh, for a screening of The Conjuring Three. Mm. The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, yeah, The Conjuring franchise is back. Uh, this new one, though, it follows the OGs, uh, married paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, once again, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga reprise their roles. Mm. Uh, this time, they investigate the origins of a demon possession of a young man in Connecticut after he murdered his landlord while under the devil's influence. 
um, as it turns out, um, I was possessed by Satan, uh, does not seem to be a valid legal <laughs> defense, you know. So they, ha- they have their work cut out for them. Um, now the thing is, like, after one sequel, Conjuring 2, three Annabelles, and two more so-and-so spin-offs about nuns and shit, uh, the Conjuring universe, you know, kicked off by James Wan's effectively old-school original. Yeah was beginning to run out of steam. Mm-hmm. If you thought there was diminishing returns in the Quiet Place franchise, oh boy, the Conjuring <laughs> franchise ran out of steam like four movies ago. The good news is that the Conjuring 3 is somewhat of a breath, uh, breath of fresh air because this new one is a twist-filled, fast-paced detective thriller that ditches the Haunted House formula yep. in favor of an X-Files-ish paranormal procedural kind of story. Uh, they do actual detective work here. They investigate a satanic cult, you know, that sort of thing. Um, the bad news is that the, the quality of the scares and the story is about the same as a mid-level X-Files episode. Um, it's not necessarily an insult because even mid-level X-Files episodes were entertaining. Um, but on a cinematic and box office scale this just isn't the kind of thing that's going to revitalize this flagging franchise. Mm-hmm. It's decent enough, but in no way makes you want to invest more time and money in, in the Conjuring universe. So it's a 5 out of 10 for me. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next up, let's move on to Netflix, uh, where we'll be talking about Tresse. Uh, oh. Tresse is a new Filipino anime on Netflix based on a comic book uh, by writer Bujet Tan and artist Kajo Baudissimo. Uh, it is set in modern-day Manila. The show follows Alexandra Tresse, a detective and demon hunter who investigates crimes of a supernatural origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a mix of Buffy and John Constantine. Uh, she is a Lacan, meaning that she is the person who is supposed to maintain the peace and order between the human world and the supernatural world. Yeah. Uh, the show, in essence, is basically a horror procedural uh, dealing with the mythical creatures from Filipino folklore who have found a home in Manila's criminal underworld. Mm-hmm. Uh, it mostly has a Monster of the Week format, uh, but there is also a big overarching story which climaxes in its uh, action-packed last two episodes uh, that go into the mystery behind Tressa's legacy and destiny, uh, specifically a prophecy that predicts that she will one day conquer and rule over both the physical and supernatural worlds. Mm. Um, the anime as a whole is, is kind of cool and interesting, mainly because it has a lot of refreshing twists on Filipino folklore yeah. that gives the show a fresh itch. You know, the gods, monsters, ghouls, and creatures are all unique, uh, and I've never seen them represented in mainstream media before. So yeah. it's a kick to delve into you know that side of folklore. Uh, the animation is nothing special, but mm. it's slick and dynamic when it needs to be. The action is solid. The story elements that fold in real-world problems in Manila, you know, like the police and political corruption, uh, it's a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the downside, though, I do feel like the story is, is fairly predictable yeah. uh, and follows all the tropes that you've come to expect from a fantasy narrative such as this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found its climactic battle to be, frankly, like, underwhelming. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, I think, like, Tracy still shows a lot of promise. Uh, and I will keep watching to season two to see where it leads. Uh, you have caught Tressie as well. What do you think of it? Uh, I, I did enjoy it. Like, like, like you've already mentioned the fact that uh, it is so rare to see Filipino supernatural folklore being represented in in this medium, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, by and large, I do feel like a lot of the uh, the monster designs were great. Uh, I do like the little nods here and there to like very specific like Filipino things. 
and all of that is great. Uh, I just couldn't help shake the feeling that Tressy felt a lot like a very average episode of 90s X-Men. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, in terms of the... Definitely, I think the animation lacks a bit of polish in places. Uh, mm. And the story, by and large, is pretty run-of-the-mill despite the fact that its specificity to its cultural roots mm. is fascinating, right? Mm. And I, I really hope they kind of focus on that a lot more. Uh, mm-hmm. But they do at times feel like they're just like very convenient plot devices to move everything along that don't really get tied up very well. Yeah. Uh, but like it's a valiant effort for sure, mm-hmm. right? And it is fun to discover uh, something that I'm not exposed to in general, or something that's just so uncommon in, uh, so so uncommon in the anime world, right? Like we are so, uh, you know, we are so familiar with like you know Japanese supernatural beings and like the Greek pantheon and something that we'll probably dive into later as well, mm-hmm. you know, and all of that, and and just having something fresh like this is cool. Yeah, it, it it's just cool. Uh, and I do hope. Um, that that um, they continue on their strengths for sure, yeah. and I, I'm definitely still interested to see how they go from here. Yeah, um, how would you rate it? I'm, I think I'm gonna give this uh, a six out of ten. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. I, I think like for something that's breaking ground, like it, it's a solid effort for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're sticking with Netflix for the uh, for the next two uh, quick hits. Uh, Netflix has <laughs> a lot of animated entries this month. Yeah. Uh, firstly, I'm going to touch upon Wish Dragon. Uh, Wish Dragon is a new Chinese animated fantasy comedy that adapts the story of Aladdin and places it in modern day China. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of li- uh, there's a lot to like in in Wish Dragon. It's got cute characters, a sweet uh, although oversimplified message, uh, and it has a pleasant animation style all of which are hard to hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it's hard to imagine sitting a kid in front of the TV with this and them not being entertained by it. Unfortunately, if you're not a very, very, very young child, you might find this movie to be dull and derivative. Um, yeah. The genie in a bottle story is one that has been done ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it feels like Wish Dragon copies 90% of Aladdin <laughs> in the most, like, you know, uninspired and laziest of ways. Uh, is it as bad as Will Smith's Aladdin? No, uh, but it's pretty bad. Um, I'm going to give this a 4 out of 10. Uh, finally, we're going to go into Record of Ragnarok, which is, you know, another month, another <laughs> new Netflix original anime to review. Uh, yeah. This time it's Record of Ragnarok, which is based on a popular Japanese manga of the same name. Yeah. Uh, the series is about a Mortal Kombat-esque a tournament between humans and gods to decide the fate of humanity. Uh, apparently, after every 1,000 years, the gods' council uh, assembles to decide the fate of humanity. Uh, interestingly, this council features fictional versions of several gods from many pantheons, you know, mm. including uh, Buddha, Thor, Zeus, Shiva, Odin, Loki, you know, and, and, and much, much more. Uh, and these gods decide that after 7 million... Uh, after like so long like, of humanity, you know, <laughs> of like like wars and destruction, like humanity must be completely wiped out. Um, however, Brunhilde, who is the Elvis Valkyrie sister, takes a stand for humanity and asks the gods to give them a second chance. Eventually, they decide uh, of a best of the teen tournament called Ragnarok, which will seal the fate of humanity. Uh, in the th- in a tournament, the teen of humanity's greatest warriors, handpicked by Brunhilde 
will go will go fight against 13 gods, you know. If the human warriors manage to win seven rounds, you know, best of 13, uh, gods will spare humanity from their wrath for another 1,000 years. Uh, fun I- idea in theory. Uh, <laughs> how is it in execution, Isa? You, you, you saw most of it. Like, I gave up after a bit. Uh, but what do you I, think about I, I, I saw I saw all of what we had uh, at the moment. I think that's... Um, how many episodes is that? So we've got 12 episodes. Um, they only right. managed three fights in the 12 episodes. As is... Ooh. You know, as 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 is part of the course love for animes like this, right? Uh, Tenement uh, Arcs, sure. Yeah, yeah. Tenement Arcs, basically. Uh, so very, very Dragon Ball-esque in terms of like its pacing yeah. uh, for that. And uh, it's ridiculous because at the end of every fight, they actually give you how long the fight took in actual minutes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the amount of time that you're going to spend watching the fights is far, far greater than that. Record of, course, of yeah. Ragnarok was something that was never really on my radar. Like I did hear about the manga and it has its own kind of cult following, uh, which is understandable because for its genre, right, which is this kind of like martial arts slash fantasy tournament style thing, much like Bucky, but fantasy or, mm. you know, like Dragon Ball Z, right? Uh, mm. It's understandable because of how ridiculous it is and how sometimes shocking the art can be. Uh, that's mm-hmm. for the manga itself. The yeah. anime itself is also ridiculous, right? Uh, but right. at the same time, it occupies this strange space where you're just like, what if Zeus fought Adam, as in progenitor of mankind Adam, right? Yep. Who basically fights in the buff with a leaf covering his uh, his um, parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous uh, in terms of what it presents to you. Mm-hmm. Thor versus Lubu, right? Yep. Some uh, samurai swordsman versus um, uh, Poseidon. Like, some of the yeah. most ridiculous things. So I did flip through the manga and, you know, I may or may not read that eventually uh, because <laughs> yeah. some of the artwork. It, like, it gets really, really ridiculous. Maybe not JoJo-level ridiculous. Okay. Um, but but it looks like it could be it could be interesting or, you know, kind of like a mindless kind of thing. Uh, okay. I, I do remember you sharing with me that you found, like, the lack of character development at all a bit of a turn-off for you, which is why you dropped it very early. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say for people who are looking for that, when we get to the third match, which is pretty far in, that's already like, uh, you know, episode like seven onwards. Right. And, and we get to our third human representative, Kojiro Sasaki. Um, there is a fair amount of flashback that does flesh out his character and it's fairly interesting as well. Uh, and awesome. it does okay. add to his fight, uh, which mm-hmm. is something that we didn't get for either Lobu or... Um, Lubu or Adam for the first two fights itself. Okay. Uh, okay. Is it is it silly? Yes. Is it yeah. fun? It depends on what you define fun as. Mm-hmm. I think that if, you know, you want something kind of mindless and ridiculous to laugh at, uh, Record of Ragnarok isn't bad. I'm going to give it, you know, a 5 out of 10. Just okay. as something to put on and like not think about anything and laugh at its, its ridiculousness. It's nowhere near as good as the kind of ridiculous you would get with like Jojo, right? Yep. Or like uh, Doro Herodoro uh, or anything of that sort, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely not that tier of anime. Um, okay. But there are portions in time where the fights are really, really well animated. Uh, it's uneven, but there are portions where it's really, really good. Uh, mm. There are some moments of brilliance in terms of the flashbacks and the storytelling. Mm. Uh, but those are few and far between uh, from what we've gotten. 
Um, yeah, it looks like the Grafinica and, and Netflix are committed to fleshing this out in its totality, from what okay. I understand. So, yeah, it's going to be a long-running thing. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe it won't. Uh, again, I, you know, I haven't actually, you know, spent good time with the manga to say that, you know, the source material has any promise mm-hmm. uh, for, for this adaptation. But, yeah, that's basically, it's 5 out of 10 for me. Okay, awesome. Uh, that wraps it up for quick hits for me. Uh, I think I would echo uh, Isa's sentiments. It's a 5 out of 10 for me. Um, Nothing too compelling to keep me watching, but I do understand the ridiculousness is a bit of a draw. Yeah. Uh, and, and I do actually feel that the ridiculousness is something that the Mortal Kombat movie missed. Yeah. Like, it, it felt like it took itself too seriously. I would, I would rather this than the Mortal Kombat movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I do have to give it that. Uh, next up, let's move on with some local news. Uh, Asia Pack Books in Singapore, mm-hmm. uh, a publisher in Singapore, is launching a new audio drama called Sacred Guardians for Audio Drama. Uh, it's now out. Uh, it is based on a graphic novel by local writer Adil uh, Johari and artist Alan B. Um, the audio drama lets you follow the Sacred Guardians uh, spirits on their exciting quest across Asian Southeast Asia to fight a powerful demon. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a prequel to Sacred Guardian Singer, which is currently in development, which is a live-action television series produced by Toku Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, the center's press released about this, you know. Uh, what are the details about uh, the Sacred Guardians? Yeah, so um, Sacred Guardians, the audio drama, is an adaptation from the 2020 comic book. Yep. Uh, you know, um, again, um, Johari has... has um, taken up the mantle of 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 uh, the creative mantle of adapting his comic mm. book to that. Uh so yeah, you can find uh you can get the the comic book Sacred Guardians from um Asia Pack Books. Uh and for the audio drama itself, they have it on Spotify. You just need to type in like Sacred Guardians uh mm-hmm. and you'll find it immediately. Uh they also have it on their SoundCloud uh as well. And I I did have I did spend some time to check it out. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, I I think it's fascinating. Uh, it's a fascinating concept, right? Like, um, we don't often get Singapore superheroes. Uh, mm. And we haven't gotten, in my recent memory, uh, fantasy-based uh, Singaporean superheroes, right? Like, we had we got, we got had Singapore Girl for a while, but that's kind of like an offshoot of a... We had VR Man, man. Yeah, we had, man. we had VR Man. <laughs> You know, like like yeah. we haven't really gotten any of that. Uh, I I think the closest was that was Singapore Girl, which was an imprint of Vertigo. Okay. As part of the command. Okay, yeah, that that's something to kind of get into. That was like convoluted as as as, as nobody's business. But um, yeah. So Sacred Guardians is is a fascinating thing. Like if you wanna kind of dive in into um, you know, the whole idea that ancient spirits uh, were roaming around in. Uh, Singapore before Singapore. Uh, nice. I think uh, it's it's worth checking out. Yeah, um, I I do have to say, you know, like it's certainly going to be a lot better than uh, the virus Vanguard, which was the COVID nineteen superhero uh, team. Yeah. Uh, that the Singapore government I paid some poor uh, media, some poor PR company to come up with. You know. Yeah. Like, do you remember that? Yeah, like, I that do. was that I was do. really terrible. So uh, yeah, uh, go check out Secret Guardians, the audio drama available on. SoundCloud available on Mixcloud as well, I believe. Uh, Spotify, Audio Smack, uh, wherever you find your favorite podcast, you will find it there. Uh, next up, let's talk about the end 
of Lucifer, oh. the, the the final season of Lucifer. You know, um, Sweet Tooth is a Vertigo adaptation. Lucifer is a Vertigo adaptation. I hesitate uh, to call it an adaptation. Um, okay. it, it, it is an adaptation, <laughs> not a faithful one, but yeah. still an adaptation. Um, what do you think about the, the end stretch of Lucifer? Oh man. Okay, so we've established that we watch watch Lucifer, right? Uh, uh, and by and large, for me, it has been a guilty pleasure for the greater mm. part of the five seasons that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, this is this is the second half of season five. We got the first half last year, like uh, during the start of the pandemic. You know, uh, and I think during that period of time, I was a lot more forgiving as to where they were kind of going with things just because we were dying for things to watch in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that, you know, uh, Michael being introduced into the story made things fairly interesting. Yep. Uh, and so the first half kind of ended off with the fact that God comes to Earth and wants to see his grandson. And for those of you who haven't caught up, I mean, like, honestly, uh, yeah. it's it's way past spoiler dates already. So, yeah, uh, not that important. Mm-hmm. Um, the pivot from with, with the introduction of, of uh, God... <laughs> Mm-hmm. into the story has pivoted Lucifer into more of a family drama than I would have anticipated. Okay. And okay. Uh, it's not great. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I uh, you are adding in like, so sure, you had you had Amenadiel and, and Lucifer which is a whole brother thing going on and then you add in the mother later on and then you add in Michael later on and uh, like you're just kind of like growing this celestial family here on Earth and how they're interacting with each other and how that intersects with the humans here and that we've come to know and love and, and all of mm-hmm. that. They are doing too much, right? Uh, yeah. Essentially, because you're trying to balance that, which at this point in time is the main kind of plot. I didn't finish um, the rest of the season. I dropped it after four episodes, uh, yep. which is like so close to the end, but I just couldn't. Uh, mm-hmm. while, trying, while doing all of that, while trying to make sure that you continue the police procedural part of it, Plus all of like the extra kind of like celestial kind of demon things is just it's a mess in my opinion, and that's mm-hmm. saying a lot given that I've sat through like nearly a full five seasons of this. Yeah, uh, I feel like a lot of the characters who had great kind of arcs um, that were going somewhere. I think in particular, my, uh, Mazikeen. Mm-hmm. Um, just got like left by the wayside got dismissed actually in my opinion like it was really really kind of heartbreaking to see the way in which it was just like left by the side right mm. um, no sort of like grand redemption story which she doesn't need right mm-hmm. uh, but like it felt very unimportant in the greater scheme of what was going on uh, that they set up for the second half of season 5 okay so yeah, yeah um I gave up on Lucifer a long time ago, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just one of those things, right? Like, again, brainless, kind of mindless Mm -hmm. watching. Um, But all in all, you know, uh, it's done now, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to go and revisit the the end of it just because I feel like we've gotten one too many, like, poor endings over the course of the last decade. Yeah, okay. And and I'm just kind of tired of that. Okay, yeah. As an audience. Yeah, Yeah, so... um, Based on four episodes of the second half of season five, just based on mm-hmm. that alone, I'm going to give it like a, a four out of ten. Um, Fair. And then for the whole of season five, I'll give it a five out of ten because I thought the Michael arc was fairly interesting. Yep. Um, 
you know, uh, as a whole, for five seasons worth of Lucifer, eh, I'll give it a five, right? Okay. Like, it, yeah. It's, it's, you know, you want hot people doing like hot people things in, hmm. you know, kind of like a celestial demon conflict and sure, by all means, man, um, there's plenty of that. You're not going to regret it if that's what you're into. It's a it's a CW show, uh, true and true. Even when it moved <laughs> to Netflix, it still remained a CW show. Yeah. Uh, that is its DNA, you know, the DNA of Riverdale, the DNA of Arrow, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 right there and baked into it. You know, if you enjoyed it, hey, good for you, man. You know, Lucifer <laughs> went on for five years. It shouldn't have. It got saved. Nope. Uh, but hey, it's here. It it managed to deliver an ending to its fans. I don't know whether it's a good ending or not, but yeah. it, it gave it gave you an ending. So. Be happy, you know, you all like campaign and petition for it. So I good for you, lah. Just like people who enjoyed the Snyder Cut, good for you guys. I'm glad that you guys got what you want, you know? Yeah. It's sure. just not for not for me. Not yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, I do have to say that like if you are not into the Lucifer show, do check out the Lucifer comic oh, yeah. books by Mike Carey, which is very, very good. It is a spin-off of New Gaiman's The Sandman, mm-hmm. uh, which you also should read if you haven't read also. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, two, two of the best Vertigo comics out there. Please read Sandman and read that soon because we are getting new Sandman things very soon. That's right. You know, mm. um, It's in production. They're casting right now. Probably uh, won't see the series till late 2022 or 2023 at yeah, best. Yeah. Uh, but it is coming. Uh, yeah. Very excited for that. Loving the casting uh, choices, for sure. Yeah, very interesting casting choices. I, I like it. Um, bold casting choices. Mm, mm. Um, to cap off this month's genre equality 43, uh, I have my own anime corner here, Hit Zero's anime corner. Yeah. Uh, because um, we have been... What's the... What was the term? Uh... Phase 2 heightened alert uh, in Singapore, which means that we went back into quarantine for a period of four weeks. Yeah. Uh, where basically, you know, you can't dine in. Uh, group sizes have to have to go down. Essentially, I found my, my social activity slashed uh, by like 80% because of this, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing you can do is go hang out at friends' houses and you can't do that every day. You know, there's no more dinner meetups and stuff like that. Yeah. So I buckled down and caught up on some of the very critically acclaimed animes. Uh, not just recently, yeah. but over, over, over many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the animes that I've always wanted to watch and I've heard so many good things about is Steins Gate, yeah. uh, which is a, a game-changing uh beloved time travel anime. Uh, not only did I watch Steins Gate, I watched Steins Gate and then I watched Steins Gate Zero and then I watched Steins Gate the movie. Um, and I watched it in a very interesting order. Um, I'm assuming you watched Steins Gate and then Steins Gate Zero live, right? When it, when it came out? Yes, I did. Uh, well, let me see. No, okay. For Steins Gate, um, Steins Gate came out like just before I started like religiously keeping up with anime. So okay. I did binge watch Steins Gate maybe like a year after it came out. So 2012, 2013-ish? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I didn't watch it as it was a really live. For Zero, I did watch it uh, mm-hmm. as it came out. Okay. Yeah. So I found an interesting watch order that someone I trust on Reddit, like one of my friends, like posted. Yeah. When I asked about Steins Gate, he recommended that I watch Steins Gate episode 1 to 22. Yeah. And then I watched the OVA 23B. Uh-huh. And then I watched the entirety of Steins Gate Zero. And yeah. then circle back to Steins Gate episode 23, 24, 25. And then the movie. Yeah. That's the order where I watched it. And I have to say, that's a great order. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fantastic... And like, I enjoyed the show so much more. I mean, I would have enjoyed it anyway. La. Like, I, I recognize, like, objectively, both shows are great. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. watching it in that order made so much more sense. Uh, like to stop at episode 22 of Science Gate the series and then move to Science Gate 0 yeah. and then go back to Science Gate 23. It, it's just great. It's great. 
um, hot take here. Yeah. I preferred Steins Gate Zero to Steins Gate. Yeah. And, sure. and, and from online, right? Like going through like message boards and shit, I must say, I think I'm the only one. No, I mean like, um, for me, wow, actually that's a difficult decision for me because like I kind of take it as a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Objectively speaking, Steins Gate Zero is so much more polished. Right, mm. not just in the animation style, in the voice work, in the music, and all of that. The storytelling is is top tier, uh, mm. and way way more polished than what we got in the original Steinscape. Right? Yeah. Is it groundbreaking anymore? No. Right? You're expanding upon a universe that's already well loved and well established, um, mm-hmm. and I'm down with that. But Steinscape Zero has a snappiness to it mm. that is completely missing from Steinscape. Right? Steinscape, mm-hmm. the original one, is a lot more of a slow burn with only like bits and pieces here and there which right, right you're just like accelerating through the story uh, whereas Zero has much better pacing uh, yeah. for sure right yeah. not to mention the fact that the complexity of the storyline in Zero is mm-hmm. far more interesting than what we originally got because when you boil it down um, with all the the time jumping and all of that and the different kind of like strings um, and, and lines and, and where they are going Steinsgate mm-hmm. Uh, the original Steins Gate in and of itself is fairly simple, right? Yeah. Zero bumps it up several notches, which is mm-hmm. kind of crazy. So I totally understand why you enjoy Zero more. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I do feel like a lot of people who are kind of purists about the, the original season are doing that out of nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. I think like Steins Gate, the original season in 2011, uh, as a sci-fi thriller, as an addictive piece of time travel thing, yeah. you know, as a plot-driven story, one of the most addictive things I've ever seen. Mm. Like, you just want to find out more and more and more. But it comes at a plot level, you know. I just, wa- I just want to know what the fuck is happening. Yeah. I want to know where all these world lines are leading. I want to know where the butterfly effect and here and there, you know. Steinsgate is so addictive as a thriller. Steinsgate Zero fixes a lot of my issues with Steinsgate, though. My issues with Steinsgate is the same issues I have with Dark. Mm. In, in that, like, other than the main protagonist, uh, Steinsgate doesn't really give agency to its characters. Yeah. Uh, particularly with, you know, the little girl that is his, fr- his friend. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, she's just, like, for the huge portion, of the entire second half of Steinsgate, just this damsel in distress that he's trying to save, right? Yeah. You know, he's like, oh, I keep time jumping, I keep time leaping, I keep doing this and that, I just can't save her, you know? Like, yeah. the, the convergence lines and everything. What Steinsgate Zero does so well is to give agency to all the side characters. They're making decisions for themselves mm-hmm. and not just at the behest of the lead character who, frankly, is, like, super unlikable. Yeah. Um, so I like that, like, every... It's more of an ensemble show. Mm-hmm. Um, Steinsgate Zero also doesn't really do the time jumping much up until the final third. Yeah. So the mistakes and the problems and the troubles in Steinsgate Zero, it doesn't have like this magic button that you can fix. You know, yeah. Yeah. that you can't just like jump back forty-eight hours to fix it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, so in the end, it becomes a more like meaty character drama with an ensemble where each character has agency. Yeah. You know, that's why I like Steinsgate Zero, mm-hmm. and and both are like good. In different respects, you know, Steins Gate Zero is not as addictive or as uh, thrilling as Steins Gate. Yeah. Uh, but Steins Gate Zero works better in in the first like half of it as like almost a slice of life anime. Um. Yeah. I I don't I know realize like if a slice <laughs> of if a slice of life anime had like an AI, uh, called Amadeus, um, you know, uh, <laughs> as as like the catalyst for the story. Yeah. But it's as close as to a slice of life anime as you can get like in a Steins Gate story, and mm-hmm. I liked it because they developed characters which 
went around in science kids. So I like them both for like very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie, in all fairness, like really sucked. Yeah. Uh, but the thing with the movie is, right, like at that point in the story where I devoted 25 plus 25, 50 episodes and one 10-minute OVA, uh, 23B, mm-hmm. uh, to the characters. So like, you know, uh, 25, 26 hours-ish. Like I just wanted to see a story where they were just like kind of hanging out and like doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. And that's what the kind the movie kind of gave me, and I'm like, okay, I'm cool yeah. with this. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing is about the movie. I mean, like at the point in time when the movie came out originally, that was before Zero came out, um, mm-hmm. and like you know, you kind of as a fan, you're starving for like content if you haven't actually played the games, right? Yeah, uh, that they're based upon. Um, and the the thing is, when a movie as kind of like OVA ish and uh, meh as it was, right? Uh, how the movie ends is actually extremely important in the, the greater universe of Steins Gate. Uh, mm. Right? Like that, like the short kind of like five, less than five minutes, I think, of, of um, ex- um, uh, at the end that, that I, we can't spoil this. Okay, never mind. Yeah. yeah. But essentially, the movie is important for the last couple of minutes and it affects the entire universe and basically sets up for zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a very convoluted way that can't be explained without spoiling anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Science Gate, awesome stuff. I'm I'm so glad that you kind of like finally got to watch this. I think um, Science Gate ranks on my list of one of the most difficult um, enemies to get into because mm. it defies the three episode rule. Yeah, it's more serialized, la. Like you yeah. have to judge it as a whole. You can't judge it like in spurts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I do remember when I was first kind of like really getting into anime. I started Steins Gate several times before I made it past episode 6. Um, mm. Just because there's so little to go on, right? Like, uh, and, and of course, with a lot of like time stuff, like sometimes it's just like fairly annoying, but mm. you don't ever get like um, Melancholy of uh, Suzuru Hiromiya endless 8 uh, time mm. loop episodes, but Steins Gate, yeah, the first couple of episodes, you gotta just like power through that because it gets really, really good after that. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I'm just glad that we are at this point in time where we get to talk about like a com- complete I guess uh, kind yeah. of like complete universe um, mm-hmm. that you can trace all the lines you can kind of geek out about uh, I have not watched it in the order that you did I have mm-hmm. seen it on Reddit yeah. uh, and it fascinates me um, so I might I might pick that up, uh, up one of these days right it's, it's one of your like you know uh, radio hit uh, um, Radiohead, OK Computer in Rainbow's uh, playlist kind of things. Yes, absolutely. So if you want to catch Steins Gate, right, uh, and you want, if you want to watch it in the order that we just said, you can watch it on Netflix. It's all available on Netflix, Steins mm-hmm. Gate and Steins Gate Zero. Uh, you may have to do a bit of digging for Steins Gate, the, Steins Gate the movie because it is not on Netflix, but you can easily find it like, if, you are, if you're an anime hit. You know, yeah. you, know the pla- you know the places where you can go. Um, Likewise, another kind of long-running manga slash anime <laughs> that I recently caught up on. Um, and in fact, just yesterday night, we are, we are recording this uh, or before, you know, a few days before the episode is released. Uh, mm-hmm. But just yesterday night, um, Fruits Basket at its 13th and final episode. Uh, not, the, not the season 3 finale, the series finale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have caught up on all three seasons of the new Fruits Basket's anime. Uh, on Netflix, and I did it over the course of four days. Um, I do have to say, man, uh, Fruits Basket is a bit of an emotional roller coaster, right? Mm. Right. Um, 
one of the one of the most emotionally rewarding, uh, emotionally turbulent, emotionally traumatic slice of life enemies that I've ever found. You know what initially started out as a a, a quirky romance fantasy enemy mm-hmm. uh, ended up being this really deep, really um, psychologically uh, deep exploration of generational trauma, of um, uh, abuse, uh, cycles of abuse specifically, yeah. uh, grief, uh, self-loathing. Um, and it's it's just become this very deeply complex thing that has... Uh, that has just become so wrenching, uh, you know. Like it, it starts out like very cute, right? The series follows like Toru Honda, an an orphaned teenage girl who befriends uh, Yuki, Q, and Shigure uh, alongside others from the rich Soma clan, and and then she learns that the family members are possessed by animals from the Chinese zodiac, and they turn into beasts when they are weakened or hugged by anyone of the opposite sex, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at first you kind of think it's gonna be like this love triangle thing between uh Toru and Yuki and Q. And then, like, you know, it's not that at all. You know, it becomes that... <laughs> well, I mean, there's a bit of that. Yeah. Uh, like, at, at the beginning of season two, but they quickly dropped the love triangle. Mm-hmm. And then it, ju- it just becomes this this a complex exploration of cycles of abuse and trauma and, and grief and self-loathing and how you can overcome that, hopefully, through friendship and kindness and compassion uh, and just being there and being nice to one another, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, incredibly dramatically rewarding anime. Not at all what I thought... Um, I was I was getting in for, um, <laughs> it does like you know like like I suppose like one of the downsides of of binging uh, such uh such an emotionally wrenching anime back to back to back to back to back over the course of a couple of days or three seasons, is the fact that uh it does at times feel like the Toru clan, uh not not Toru clan sorry the Soma clan, uh it feels like all the members are kind of competing. Like like competitive trauma, competitive yeah. childhood trauma. The series, you know, <laughs> like who has a worst childhood backstory? Uh, you know what? All your childhood backstories are fucked up. You know, it's it's just some of the most insane uh, instances of of child abuse uh, depicted over and over and over again on on, on a otherwise really cute show. Yeah. Um, and it's it gets a bit much sometimes to the point where. It verges on parody by the time you get to Akito's uh, backstory. Um, <laughs> Like, I know it's not supposed to be, like, a, a parody, but after a while, you just have to, like, throw your hands up in the air and laugh and, like, okay, let's see what this new childhood backstory is going to give me. And it's it, it always consistently one-ups the fucked-upness. Mm. Um, it's, it's hard to watch uh, sometimes, you know, and, and not what I expected. But I do have to say, like, overall, you know, now that I've seen all three seasons and with the finale and everything wrapping up, um, I'm typically not a fan of happy endings. Yeah. Like, I, I like a bit the sweet endings. I like sad endings. I like tragic endings. Happy, I'm not a happy endings guy. I grew up, like, in the 90s, right? Where, like, I kept being fed happy endings. So, like, you know, when shows like Black Mirror started giving you, like, darker endings, like, I was like, yeah, this is great, you know? Like, not everything can end up happy. But after everything that the fucking Soma clan have been to, that Yuki <laughs> has been through, like, if this show did not deliver a happy ending, I would have rioted. And thank God, like, the last episode was just them, like, you know, being happy, coupling up, going off into the sunset, etc., etc. It's the happiest, sappiest ending. And you know what? These fucking characters deserve it, right? Yeah, they definitely yeah. do. They definitely do. I mean, with everything that you've had to sit through, right? Like, mm-hmm. for it to end in tragedy, which was hinted at the original one, right? Like, that was where it was going for the for the original series. Yep. Um, yeah, like, I don't think, you know, anybody could 
have wanted that or, or would have wanted that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, have you have you seen the the Fruits, Fruits Baskets uh, series finale? Uh, no, I have not seen the finale. I believe I'm a couple of episodes behind, maybe three episodes behind. Okay. Yeah, so I'm definitely looking forward to doing that. Uh, I'm just like happy, dude. Like Fruits Basket is one of those anime that gets tossed around, right? Like it has the original series had a cult following. Uh, mm. despite its flaws uh, yeah. and the, the kind of changes that it made to the, the source material, right? That some people like, some people didn't like, you know, it was kind of tossed up in the air. But with this new iteration of it uh, and the three seasons that it delivered, right? Like, it, I think it's really shown um, the amazing things that you could do with the original concept of that and, like, seeing that to its log- logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, it, like, uh, Fruits Basket isn't, um, a run of uh, uh, it's not something that I would typically watch or be typically drawn, uh, be drawn to. But I do remember yeah. watching the original series. I was so surprised and excited when they came out with the new one, and then like now that we're at the end of it, I'm just like, wow, you know, like you can't, you can't mm-hmm. take away from how great it is, right? Uh, it's, it will, it is rewarding and punishing at the same time if you only give it a chance. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm. Finally, uh, I caught up on um, Isa's big four recommendations from the previous genre equality. If you want to catch his reviews on Isa's Anime Corner, go check out genre equality 42 at Isa's Anime Corner. I particularly caught up on his big four, even though like the, the S tier recommendations that yep. he gave. Um, I do have to say, like talking about all four of this at once, um, I was going to say that subjectively, my favorite <laughs> enemy was Odd Taxi. Yeah. And objectively, To Your Eternity was the best of the four. Yeah. But upon watching the finales for all four of the shows, well, To Your Eternity is not ended, but yeah. three, or three of the shows have ended. Upon watching all the finales, Art Taxi is objectively the best one. Hands um, down. Hands down, <laughs> you know. Um, Art Taxi's series finale, I'm going to begin with Art Taxi. Art Taxi's series finale aired yesterday la, when we were recording this, you know. Yeah. Um, it delivered, have you seen it? I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I've seen it. I've seen for it. You. Yeah. Like, I, I'm going to, uh, you've already heard the review from Isa. I'm just going to spoil it in like three, two, one. The reveal that, <laughs> uh, that Warris Taxi Driver was uh, suffering from visual agnosia. Like, like he, 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 he's a human being who only. It's not like an animal world, you know. It's not a Bojack Horseman, Tuka and Bertie kind of world, you know. Yeah. He he is. They're living in a human world, and he only sees other people as animals because of a visual impairment in his brain. Uh, insane! What a great <laughs> twist! Incredible twist! Our taxi is by far delivered like one of the greatest reveals in anime history in that final episode, and he has like jumped up across the other four to me as like the best one for this season yeah for sure I mean it's just like there was a lot of foreshadowing going in right like I remember mm. saying last month right uh, you know there, there's some things are not really what they seem to be you're not really sure if what you're you're partaking in as the audience is reality per se right? yeah uh, and that was dropped in like very very early on but for to see that play out in the way yeah. that it did across the entire season and have the review in the way that they revealed it Damn, mm-hmm. like pitch perfect. Like, how do you get any better than a review like that? You know, yeah. How, I don't. I. I, I don't even want a season two. I don't think there is. Is there going to be a season two? It that did end up on a cliffhanger, though. Um, I mean, there's no news as of yet, as far as I can tell. At least, like, my anime list hasn't said anything yet. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think we need it, right? Like, yeah, where can you go from there? Very mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah, yeah, you know. But like even without the reveal, the almost 
Coen Brothers offbeat crime thriller aspect of Odd Taxi was already good enough uh, to be one of the best enemies of the season. Yep. If, you, if you take that out, the almost uh, Midnight Diner-esque uh, taxi driver <laughs> talks to his customers aspect of the show, it was already good enough to yeah. be one of the best enemies of the season. You combine all three of that, versus the best enemy of the season, you know. Um, it's, you know, the, I particularly like the crime thriller aspect of it. It's very mm, good. Yeah. Uh, one of the best crime thrillers in general, you know, he inevitably gets tied to a mob rivalry. There's a shady idol group. <laughs> uh, there's an alpaca nurse selling illegal, illegal drugs. There's a gamer out for revenge. There's a lot of, like, wry observational humor, a lot of CD character studies, surprisingly intertwining plots. And here's the thing about our taxi that I really, really love. One thing that I've come to expect from anime is a lot of hand-holding. Yeah. Um, Dialogue-wise. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Like, this is not a particular complaint per se because it's a genre-wide problem. Yeah. But the enemies in general tend to re-emphasize points four or five times per mm-hmm. episode. A character would just, like, say a point and then rephrase it in another way. And then, like, my favorite term, like, that if there's a drinking game, I will be dying of liver disease or it's in other words, which every anime character says at least, like, three times per episode. You know, <laughs> you know in other words, it, another way of saying blah, blah, blah. It's just to, like, repeat points, right? Yeah. Texting is such a fast-paced, banter-driven, dialogue-driven, naturalistic dialogue, too, you know, yeah. kind, of, kind of anime. It's very unusual for me. Like, I've never seen an anime that delivers dialogue like this and doesn't hold your head, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is criminally underrated, right? Mm. It's criminally underrated. We're coming to the end of the season. A lot of the reviews are coming out. And, yeah. right, it's not getting a lot of attention except from, like, really, really fringe guys who, like, write, you know... uh video essays on YouTube and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Uh, but Odd Taxi is so, so good. Uh, and I think, like, it's one of those, it's one of those animes, right, that will easily transcend boundaries. If mm-hmm. you showed this to someone who's a big Coen Brothers fan, mm-hmm. right, they would fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. Easily, hands down. If you like this kind of, like, uh, conversational, um, dialogue-driven character studies uh, yeah. in your art house films, then, like, Odd Taxi is for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you got it, man. Like seriously, it it, it it's it's hard to sell it. Uh, mm-hmm. it's hard to sell odd taxi to people, right? Uh, especially anime hits, just because they've been we we have been fed a certain type of anime being great. Uh, you know, you got your shonen stuff, and once in a while you get your Violet Evergardens. Once in a while you get your you know Ghost in the Shell, your Evangelion, which are all like great like legendary kind of animes. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while you get an S-tier anime of this uh, of, of this form of this type right of yeah. this caliber and yeah. it's a rare thing which makes Odd Taxi even more of a gem mm-hmm. agreed sure. Odd Taxi like one of my favourite shows in general not just anime of the season yeah uh, what a great uh, discovery uh, and yeah you're right it's criminally underrated I don't really find much people talking about it uh, on the flip side though an anime that's getting a lot of hype and much deservedly so is To Your Eternity which mm. I recently caught up on as well uh, one of the best pilot episodes uh, of any anime that I've, I've ever seen yeah it's, it's right up there with Attack on Titan's pilot you know mm-hmm. um, I mean Attack on Titan like you can say what you will uh, about the in quality from there but yeah. it had one of the greatest pilots of all time for sure your eternity's first episode is a masterpiece you know it's this like millennia spanning story this orb is cast to earth it can change form it can come back after death it morphs from orb to rock to wolf to boy to girl to giant god <laughs> bear uh and then like you go through like 
you know, decades and centuries with this thing. And it, as it grows and learns and it picks up human stimulation, uh, it starts to learn how to become a boy and a man and a human, uh, a, a creature. You know, it's, it's just such an elegant, emotional, epic study of human nature mm. told through the centuries, uh, featuring a lot of gripping short acts where characters that you love uh, die in gruesome ways and yeah. just discard. I mean, they're not discarded. Like, they're emotionally important to the orb, you know, to mm -hmm. Fushi. Mm -hmm. But but like you never see any of them again. Like you know, there are no like magical miracle saves in the show. You know, no. once they are done with that arc, they either die of old age or they die terribly. You know, yeah. because you know they, this orb is going to outlive you all. You know, it's incredible. Well, a masterpiece of an enemy. Yeah, amazing stuff. Uh, we're only halfway through at the moment. Yep. Uh, and and it's a lot. Like if you love uh, again, like I said in my original kind of like recommendation, if you love. Shows like Mushishi, like you know, to your eternity is is in that in that similar kind of vein, mm -hmm. and like it's just amazing stuff, right? The animation is great, the music is phenomenal, the mm. storytelling is is unique and and uh, unrelenting. Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah, you know, in 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 its view of what it means to be ephemeral against the the span of you know of unrelenting time, mm. amazing stuff. Yes, you know, uh, speaking of great music, another very good anime that I saw recommended was Vivi Floret's I Song. Uh, it's, you know, imagine Carol and Tuesday meets Terminator and, <laughs> and, 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 and you get Vivi, which is, you know, one of the most visually spectacular animes that yeah. I've seen in years. You know, it comes from the creator of ReZero. Mm -hmm. uh, it follows this, like, AI android uh, called Diva, whose sole purpose is to make people happy with her music, right? You know? Yeah. Uh, but then her existence is upended when she finds a snarky AI from the future who's sent back in time to prevent a robot uprising 100 years from now. Um, you know, like, it has jaw-dropping anim animation. Incredible. Very fast-paced pacing. I would say almost too fast. That might even be my issue with it. Like, it's very, it's almost too fast. Yeah. But it is consistently thrilling and it is <laughs> consistently surprising. The only <laughs> issue is that because of its breathless pace and because of how quickly it goes through the 100 years, yeah. I have, uh, there is a bit of an emotional disconnect as it as it reaches its climax. Yep. Like, I don't get the weight of it, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally agree. I, I think, like, like I was saying last month, right, like, with both To Your Eternity and Vivi having this kind of, like, um, la a wide span of time, right, within within the conceptual storytelling that they're trying to do, like, yep. To Your Eternity does it far better. Two absolutely different stories, two, like, in, in terms of scale as well, like, To Your Eternity is far, far longer in terms of what it's trying to do but mm -hmm. having to squeeze a hundred years worth of story both within the greater kind of plot with the with the AI uprising and kind mm -hmm. of diva's own struggle into 12 episodes is a challenge that i don't think that they met um yep. overall you know i do feel like the third act did feel more rushed than than everything else right like mm. the pacing of itself like it felt even more rushed than that uh, mm. and I'm not sure if it's because you know they were slated for 12 and, and they couldn't like spend any more time on it or they ran out of budget or whatever it was mm. uh, but still like Vivi is is just in terms of the spectacle of it yeah. one of the most dazzling for sure uh, and yeah. that's saying a lot given the kind of anime we've been getting over you know the last five years yeah, yeah. Like, I'm telling you, if you follow the three-episode rule of these four new animes, at episode three, Vivi will be at your top. Yeah, for sure. Easily. 
and and all taxi will be at the bottom. I'm not kidding. Yeah. But then like you you gotta build upon that. You gotta stretch quality throughout the entire season, right? And I feel like Theo Anthony kind of fumbles at the end a bit. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and whereas our taxi just like keeps getting better and better and better, and and f- based on what I've seen on your eternity, so does your eternity, Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, like the three episode rule works as a general rule of thumb, right? Like I think that works um, for most animes. I think that works a lot of the time for for a lot of TV shows as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't just only discard anime. Uh, after the three second month, right? Like Science Gate is a perfect example of that. You would yep. de- that in any year, uh, if I were to follow the three episode rule, Science Gate would be something that I would have never watched easily. Mm. Uh, but that's what we're here for. We're here to watch the stuff that you guys might have dropped after three episodes and tell you that look, you're missing out on. Yeah, uh, and the just the greater anime community is going to do that, right? Because some people are just like. Uh, suckers for for that kind of like anime with that that you know they gotta suffer through before you get to the good stuff. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And uh, did, like, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, did you get uh, Mars Raid as well? I just finished it last night. Uh, the final episode uh, mm. at uh, a day ago. Uh, Mars Raid. Speaking of like idiosyncratic, very different <laughs> kinds of anime. You know, Mars Raid is a it is it is a very stylish, moody, slow burning take on a vampire anime. It's definitely an acquired taste, taste yeah. for anime fans. Yeah. Uh, but like its art house ambition has the teeth to really like keep me, you know. It's mm. it's in my opinion one of the best new anime of 2021. Not the best, but yeah. one of the best. I really admire its again, uh going back to our taxi in very different ways. Master it really doesn't hold your hand. Mm. Like there is there are some surprises and twists here that requires rewatching. Yeah. Uh, and the clues that it drops are so subtle mm. uh, and so organic, you know, that you really have to pay attention. And again, like, not the criticism of anime in general, but anime really, really loves to beat you over the head with plot points yeah. uh, so that, you know, you make sure that you get it, right? Yeah. Masterit, like, delivers, like, twists, like, under, like, four layers, you know. Like, I really <laughs> have to dig deep to understand, wait, did I did I did what happened is what ha- did I just think that happened? I'm not sure. I gotta rewatch this, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, like for example, spoiler alert, like like Misaki being like his fiance and everything. Yeah. Like such a cute reveal and so like layered. And you could if you actually dug into the dialogue, like you could have guessed it, but mm-hmm. you know, I just wasn't like looking for it. And and Master It surprises me in a lot of its art house tendencies, the the flourish, the wide screen, which you don't see in anime, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um the the time period, the nineteen twenties, which is new. I've I do not really see that in, in anime. Usually you either get feudal Japan or modern Japan. Yeah. Nineteen twenties is new. Uh they save a lot of money with the vampires because you know they basically just do quick cuts. Like yeah. they don't <laughs> they don't show them like running. It's just like you're here, then they're there. But it, it has the the impact, you know, of, of super speed. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, it lacks a lot on what I would call hype factor. Yeah. If you for for enemies, you know, you want to get hype in the fights and stuff. It doesn't have the hype factor. No, but it is a very artistic enemy, and I kind of respect it for it. You know. Yeah, for sure. I I think like out of the four, right? Uh, if anything has kind of like rewatch value, it's going to be Mars Red, right? Yeah. Because it's so dense. Uh, in terms of like its references and and what it's alluding to and all these like subtle kind of like foreshadowing, that uh, you know it's it's one of those things that you you gonna have to revisit it. And my gut feeling is that if we revisit it again in a couple of years, it's mm. gonna be like even better. You know, uh, it is great, but I do feel like 
um, it is the weakest of the four, lah, for mm. sure. You know, um, it's not perfect. I I think like they sacrifice a fair bit in terms of like character and plot, uh, mm. in service to that art house vision of it. But mm-hmm. it was such a gorgeously esoteric, esoteric rather, anime. Yeah. Uh, and and because of that, it's just unique, right? In in just kind of like the playing field that we have in today's uh, yeah. anime universe. Yeah. I foresee like Mastered becoming some sort of cult classic in the future. Like like one of those things that like, in 2030 you'll be like, hey, this is like, you know, this really artsy anime that you've you've never seen, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like like Mastered is probably gonna get a lot of hype based on word of mouth. And mm. because I think it has a lot of crossover to very like uh pretentious drama students and shit like that who <laughs> who probably be like telling their super bored girlfriends about this. Yeah. yeah. Like that that's like Mars Red's audience. And like, mm, hey, kudos, really man. It's it's so different, right? Yeah, it, it is, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so like again, I said like this season is the most stacked anime season that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh and like these are just four out of like the I, I don't know how many recommendations that I made. Four out of the twelve, or is it fifteen mm-hmm. uh recommendations that I made? Yeah. But yeah, standout stuff. Um, if this is what we're getting for spring. Like mm. I'm super super hyped for all else that we're getting. I think uh, we've just got confirmation. Uh, we've gotten the poster for Chainsaw Man, which mm. I'm very very hyped about. Uh, Kaiju Number Eight has just been confirmed mm-hmm. uh, for an anime season as well. So like a lot a lot of good stuff coming up. Um, but yeah, like uh, I, I'm glad. I I think we should do this more often for sure, right? Because yep. Anime Corner traditionally is always me recommending stuff. And we only ever review like My Hero or like Jujutsu Kaisen, like the really, really big uh, kind of like marquee titles. Yeah, Demon um, Slayers and all of that, yeah. Yeah, and, and for good reason, right? Like they're really, really good. They're really, really popular. People want to know what we think and we want to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of share that as well. But every once in a while, you get a season like Spring 2021 where it's just mind-blowingly stacked and yeah. the top four are just mind-blowingly good. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, uh, all taxi is my favorite, but all of them are like worth a watch, definitely. Uh, especially to your eternity, which I think is the leader of the other three, lah. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, um, we will only do this when we have time, which we won't have next month because it's <laughs> fucking insane. Uh, let me give you a little rundown of what we'll be talking about on genre equality forty four. Number one, we'll be talking about Loki. Yeah. Number two, we'll be talking about Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Number three, we'll be talking about Space Jam 2. Yep. Uh, number four, we'll be talking about Masters of the Universe Revelation. Uh-huh. Uh, number five, we'll be talking about the Troll Hunters movie, Rise of the Titans, uh, which ties up all three series in the Troll Hunters verse. Yeah. Uh, those are our five big topics, and I haven't even gotten into all the stuff that, that's in quick hits. Uh, so <laughs> those are five huge topics, especially the big the, the big three, which is Loki, Black Widow, and Space Jam, which are like, you know, Going to be box office or zeitgeist kind of kind of shows Yeah. Um, you know, like we're probably going to get deeper into into that later. Uh, I do have to say though, like I'm very excited for Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Not very excited for Space Jam: A New Legacy because I I just I don't know. Uh, Masters of the Universe looks fantastic. Its trailer looks incredible. Yeah, it does. Uh, Loki, I gotta say, three episodes in, not liking it. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Like especially via the what we got with WandaVision and what we got mm. with uh Falcon, uh, Falcon yeah. and Winter Soldier. I kind yeah. of get that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We will talk more about it when, when we're kind of wrapped up with that. We'll see whether or not it lands. Because it's still kind of floating. Yeah. 
And it's yeah. interesting in certain manners, interesting reviews, but like mm-hmm. substance-wise, it isn't. Mm. Yeah, I feel like it's a 20-minute show that's been elongated to 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I get yeah. that. Yeah, but anyways, like, like I, it's kind of premature judging. We're only halfway through. Like, who knows? Like, the next, the final three episodes may be killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, uh, I have heard a lot of good things about Black Widow, though, particularly with Florence Pugh's performance. Oh yeah, uh, there's a there's a lot of hype in the critical community, like not superhero fans. I mean, like people from like Variety and Hollywood Reporter and Deadline and shit like that, you know, who usually like poo poo this kind of shit. But everyone's huh. saying that like Florence Pugh is killing it in Black Widow, and I'm psyched for that. Love Florence Pugh. Yeah, can't wait to see this. Yeah, uh, on Quick Hits though, I will be talking about a werewolf comedy called Werewolves Within. There's Jungle Cruise, uh, there's Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, uh, there's uh, Fear Street on Netflix. Uh, there is a film lot in Chris Miller cartoon uh, movie called America, the film, uh, which is a revisionist history take on uh, the founding of America. You know, where like what if Abraham Lincoln was a cyborg and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, there is a Chris Pratt uh, sci-fi adventure called The Tomorrow War, which looks terrible. Uh, there's Snake Eyes, which is from the G.I. Joe canon. Mm. Uh, and, and stuff like that and, and we'll get all into that next month you know um, Black Widow is, is Black Widow available on Disney Plus you think? it is right? it will be one of the premium things the, the oh. premium thing yeah okay cool 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 okay cool yeah uh, so we will be back next month uh, till then though uh, oh, any, any final thoughts before we, we wrap it up? Uh, no no I, I think that's about it um, yeah uh, oh yeah we for uh, our next behold, we're going to be talking about the best films of 2020 so far. Mm, that's right. Uh, yeah, we have The Father, we have Minari, we have Another Round, and Judas and the Black Messiah. Here's a big caveat, though. <laughs> um, these are the four best films of 2021 that yeah. we have not talked about. Yet, yes. <laughs> there is stuff like, you know, Saint Maud and shit like that, you know, like, but we've talked about it, right? Yeah. You know, I've talked about La Leronia on, on Johnny Call. These are stuff that we have not talked about and they are v- four very good films. Uh, subsequently, on Behold 32, we'll also be talking about the underrated cinematic gems of 2021, uh, which are films that are not necessarily have like award recognition or zeitgeist grabbing attention. Yeah. But just like, Tiny little indie films that I just that really captured me this year, mm-hmm. uh, and and we'll get into that uh, soon uh, So yeah, that's yeah. that's for next month. Uh, if you want to, you can follow us on YouTube. Do hit subscribe. Do hit like. Uh, give us a listen there. Uh, or if you're not a YouTube person, you can still find us on Mixcloud, of course. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll be we'll be looking uh, we'll be looking to expand into other platforms. So keep a year out for that. We've got some exciting news for the second half of the year. Mm, uh, yes. As far as uh, what we're doing on the channel. Yeah. Uh, hint, hint. Uh, but uh, yeah. Well, when it's time, we'll let you guys know. Right. Yeah. Uh, till next time. This has been Hit Zero. I'm Isa. Goodbye, guys. Ciao.